Luke writes in the beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He's saying, look, a lot of people have written what's happened in the life of Jesus before me. Some people think Matthew and Mark were already written before Luke, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke was the only gospel writer out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that didn't actually know the physical Jesus while he was here. He, he talked to eyewitnesses. He went out like a reporter. Any journalists in the room ever spend time in journalism? Justin, a couple. He went out and talked to people that, that knew Jesus, Mary, the apostles. That's how he got his information. He said, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is the guy that he was writing to. Theophilus means lover of God. And what's cool is Acts was also written to Theophilus. If you look at the book of Acts, which we went through last year, he says, Theophilus, in my former work, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is the former work, the prequel. I've been going through the, the Hobbit prequels. They, they finally made it to television a couple weeks ago, and I watched a couple of those. Those are the prequel to the Lord of the Rings. Luke is the prequel to the book of Acts. Some people think they may have even been one volume. If you were to go down to a bookstore today and Luke and Acts were written, they'd maybe be in one hardcover or at least in two paperbacks right next to each other. They, they go together and they're both written to this guy named Theophilus, lover of God. Now, we don't know a lot about this Theophilus, but we know why Luke was writing to him. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is huge as we go through the book of Luke so that you may know the certainty of what you've been taught. We don't know if Theophilus was a new believer that just needed grounded in his faith or if he was exploring and he needed to, to know for the first time. But you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is an idea that's under attack even among Christians within the church. This idea that you can be certain. Did you know that that's coming under fire even from within the church? Listen to this quote from a man named Brian McLaren, pastor. He wrote a book in 2001 called A New Kind of Christianity. I'm not sure we need a new kind of Christianity. Uh, one God gave us is pretty good. But he, he said, the Bible is not considered an accurate, absolute, authoritative, or authoritarian source. Okay, we could stop right there, right? Okay. <laughs> Any red flags? But a book to be experienced in one experience can be as valid as any other can. Experience, dialogue, feelings, and conversations are equated with Scripture. Listen to this. While certitude, being certain, authority, and doctrine are to be eschewed. You know what that means? Laid aside, let go of. Certitude, authority, and doctrine are to be eschewed. No doctrines are to be absolute. The Bible is not an answer book. Luke says in verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. 
This is huge. This is why he wrote to Theophilus. This is why this book is valuable to us so that we may know the certainty of what we've been taught. So who was this Luke guy? A couple, couple things. One, we know that he had a lot of patience. We know that because Paul calls him the beloved physician. Physicians always have patience. <laughs> Paul said that in Colossians. Luke traveled all over with Paul. If you remember in the book of Acts, there were all those we sections. We went here, we went there. Luke was the author. He was saying, I'm with Paul as he traveled. He was a missionary with Paul. He was a physician. We know that he's the only Gentile author, non-Jew in the whole New Testament. We know that because when Paul talks about him, he lists some guys and he says, these are the only Jews among our party. And then he says, Luke was also with us. These are the only Jews. And here's Luke. Luke was a Gentile. Some people think he was from Antioch. Some people think he was from Philippi, but he's one of us. If you're a non-Jew, you can connect to Luke. And that's important, even as you look at the, the emphases in his book, because every gospel pulls out something different about Jesus' life. They're all true and they're all complementary, but they each focus on different things. And one of the things Luke focuses on more than any other gospel author is the idea that the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. He uses words for save in his gospel more than any other gospel author. And as he does that, he goes out of his way to show that this is not just for a limited group of, of Jews or men. He goes out of his way to show Jesus reaching out to Samaritans. Those were half-breeds to the Jews, to women who were looked down on in society, to, to children, to the poor. Luke's thrust is Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that is everyone. That drove Luke's gospel. His key verse, as I said, was the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Son of Man is an important idea in Luke too. Matthew wanted to present Jesus as the king. He wanted to show the Jews Jesus is king. He's the one you've been waiting for. Mark showed him as a servant. He came not to be served, but to serve. John showed him as the son of God. Luke wanted to emphasize that he was not only the son of God, he was also fully human. And so one, one author said this, as we read through the book of Luke, Luke focuses on some things because he's focusing on Jesus as the son of man. He, he shows Jesus praying seven times more Seven more examples of Jesus praying than in any other book. He talks about the power of the Holy Spirit more than any other book. And he does that because he wants us to see as we go through here that not only is Jesus perfectly God, he is what mankind should look like. He, he succeeded where Adam failed. So when we see Jesus praying as a man, when we see Jesus depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, we say, hey, I need to follow in his example. He is the son of man that lived out where Adam failed. That's, that's part of where Luke's going with this. And as he shows us that, he wants us to know the certainty of the things you've been taught. We also know, any writers in the room? Anybody enjoy writing either blogs or... There's different levels of, of writing, all right? People have looked at the Greek that Luke used and they say it's amazing. It's amazing quality Greek. Like if when Peter, the fisherman wrote, if it was like Reader's Digest quality, like Peter, or Luke, excuse me, was like writing medical journal quality. The language, the words, the terms he uses, just amazing 
uh, Greek. And even the way he starts his gospel, this is how Greek historians would have started their histories. They're trying to build a case that they're, what they're writing is valid. That's why he's saying, I carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He is detailed, and he wants people to believe what he's saying so they know the certainty of what they've been taught. And I want to set the, the tone a little bit uh, for what was going on prior to this book, just to give us a taste. All right, we just finished Daniel, right? And we left God's people, Israel, in captivity under the empire of Persia. Shortly after Daniel, they, we know from history that they went back to their nation. And after Persia, the Greek empire took over. Then the Roman empire took over. And that's where we find the Jews at the beginning of the New Testament. The last prophecy they had heard was from a prophet named Malachi. Some people call him Malachi, the, the only Italian prophet. <laughs> the last prophecy they had got was Malachi chapter 4. There was a prophecy about one who would come like Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord. And then there were 400 years of silence. No prophets, no messages from God. Can you imagine 400 years? 2014, let's take us back to 1614, okay? They're waiting for a Messiah, 400 years. And now I want to, as we jump into chapter, chapter one, he's, he's going to jump into the birth accounts more than any other gospel author. He gives more detail around these than, than any other author, possibly because he's a doctor. He'd be interested in the idea of God being born in flesh. That might blow a doctor away. But we're going to look at two messages from an angel named Gabriel, who you'll remember if you were with us in Daniel. This is the same angel that came to Daniel to answer one of his prayers. Same angel. Remember we said God likes to use Gabriel. God doesn't always send angels to answer our prayers, but when he does, it's Gabriel. <laughs> That's kind of the idea with Gabriel. He's the messenger, and he's going to come to two people, Zechariah and Mary. And as we talk about knowing the certainty of what God has told us, we're going to see two very different responses to the message of God. And I want us to ask ourselves this morning, how do I respond to the message of God? When I look at Zechariah, do I respond as he did or do I respond as Mary? And we'll talk about what this means in our lives today. So let's, let's jump in. Verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. She was in the priestly line as well. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That doesn't mean they were perfect. What it means is when God convicted them of sin in their lives, they dealt with it quickly and they lined themselves back up with his will. Nobody's perfect but they love God. But check this out. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Culture back then, in Judea especially, was very different than culture today. Today a family can make a choice not to have kids or to wait on kids and hey, it's all right. But in this Jewish culture, children were a sign of God's blessing. And if you didn't have a child, you were looked down on, often assumed was that you had sin in your life. 
So you can imagine this priest and his wife, they love God. They've tried for years. Now they're, they're too old. That's, that's the scenario. They, they spent years not only waiting for, for the Messiah to come like the rest of the nation. They spent years waiting to get pregnant. And it had not happened. If you know what it is to wait on anything, if you know what it is to taste disappointment in your life, you could relate to this couple. Once when Zechariah's division, his division of priests was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. Now let me pause here. They had different divisions of priests. They lived all over the country. And once or twice a year, different divisions would come in, and each division would only be in Jerusalem at the temple for one or two weeks a year. This is one of those times where Zechariah is on duty. You know, my brother's a firefighter. You know, this, they had different shifts. You got A, a shift, B shifters. How many different shifters you got? Whatever letter shift his, his priest group was on, their shift was on. So they go to Jerusalem. He's serving as priest before God, but it got even better. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This burning incense was a whole other level of service. This was something that would often only happen once in a priest's lifetime. There were so many priests. They would go in. It wasn't really dice, but same idea, roll the dice. And whoever's chosen gets to go in and burn incense, most likely after the evening sacrifice, around 3 o'clock. They'd go into the temple and they'd burn the incense, which symbolizes the prayers of God's people. This was the highlight of every priest's life. This was this was big moment for Zechariah. It's about to get even bigger. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Yeah, this hasn't happened before. He hasn't seen an angel before. That's a common response in the Bible. Probably any one of us would be there with him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. I want to pause here. It says, Your prayer has been heard. It doesn't say specifically what prayer. It could have been that Zechariah was there that day praying for the, the, the coming Messiah. It could have been that the angel's talking about his prayers for a child with his wife. Bottom line is both prayers are about to be answered. He says, this boy will be a joy and delight to you. and Many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And here we start with the Holy Spirit. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I read this and I I can't help but think about the the conference me and some fellow pastors went to in 2010. We went there thinking, hey, this is just going to be something where we're going to learn a few new things and we're going to get back to life as usual. Well, as you guys know, it led us into a whole new chapter of life and ministry and different church and different. This is 1,000, 
thousand times bigger than that. He may have thought he was just going to Jerusalem to do his duty. He got something much more than he was expected. But I want you to watch his response. And we're going to contrast his response with Mary's response. On the surface, they look very similar, but they're actually quite different. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I don't know if the angel got a little offended. Uh, it's possible. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because why? You did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Basically, Zechariah says to the angel, I'm old. You're going to have to prove it before I'm going to believe this. <laughs> and honestly, can we blame him a whole lot? Put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. I've shared with some of you guys that me and Carolyn tried for, for five years to have children before we were able to have Jaden. And I remember all the failed pregnancy tests. And maybe for Zechariah, you know, after you get your hopes up a number of times, after you hope that the cycle changes up for your wife and then, then it carries on as usual and there's the letdown. Obviously, they didn't have the EPT back then, but they're watching the cycles. Maybe this time, no. Maybe this time. You get your hopes up so many times and you know this in any situation in life. When you're working through something, whether it's trying to get a job. I got a family member right now. She just graduated college and she's got her master's degree in counseling, school counseling. And she's applied to job after job after job after job. And nothing's opened up yet. We all know those journeys in life. And when we're at those places and you put yourself out there again, and you put yourself out there again in hope and then you're let down again. You, you know how fragile we can get, maybe, maybe that's part of it. He, maybe he dares not get his hopes up on this because, boy, I don't want to let myself down again. I don't want Elizabeth to be hurt again. Maybe it's just looking at, at the facts. I don't know how old they were, but <laughs> God, <laughs> this is not humanly possible. We've all had responses like that in our lives of, of unbelief, but it, but it costs Zachariah something, that unbelief. He missed out on an opportunity. Check this out. The angel said to him, you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. Nine months. Now he was supposed to use his voice right when he came out of the, uh, the incense offering place there. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. What's going on in there? When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. After the priest offered that incense, he was supposed to come out and read a blessing over the people. It's a blessing from the book of Numbers. You see it at the end of chapter 6, if you're ever reading through there. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. He was supposed to come out of there and immediately be a blessing to the people around him. He could not. 
He could not because of his lack of faith. And for nine months, he was limited in his ability to communicate what God had done. Even as he watched Elizabeth's tummy begin to grow, he was limited in his ability to share. Unbelief will, will rob us of many opportunities to share the goodness of God with those around us. Now, God is gracious. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for Zechariah. Thank goodness for us. We're going to see he's not done, but, but it cost him. They're waiting for him. He had to make signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. So imagine that scene. I don't know if it looked like charades outside the temple or whatever. He's trying to... <laughs> I don't know what he was doing, but it says when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. <laughs> Imagine this little elderly lady the desire of her heart for her family and the desire of her heart for her nation, knowing that not only am I going to have a son, he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah that we've been waiting for. I think some of you ladies are probably saying, boy, that was a double answer to prayer. For nine months, she won every disagreement in their family. <laughs> I think the baby was the main thing. Now, that's, that, that's uh, Zechariah's response, okay? And, and sometimes we're there, but it, it costs us. How can I be sure of this, God? Prove it. God, God tells us something in his word. Tells us, you can, you can hang in there. I'll provide for you. I'll give you the strength you need. I'll give you the grace you need. I accept you. I love you in Jesus. You're my son. You're my daughter. How can I be sure of this? And we miss out. Now, let's look at Mary. The contrasts here are amazing, okay? Just, just to start, Zechariah is in Jerusalem. That's the hub of it all. It's downtown. It's Phoenix, all right, for, for us Arizonans. Mary's in Nazareth, okay? We're talking Paulden, all right? <laughs> okay, so there's some contrast right there. Gabriel goes to Phoenix, and then he goes to Paulden, all right? Obviously, Zechariah's <laughs> elderly, Mary's most likely a teenager. Okay, and, and when you think about where she lived, the people in Jerusalem actually looked down on the people in Galilee, which is where Nazareth was, because they had a lot of contact with Gentiles. They, they often weren't as educated. And I'm stopping my, my parallels here. I'm not talking about Paulden now. I don't want any nasty letters. I was only using Paulden for the size thing. But that's how they looked at the people in, uh, in Nazareth. You look at the fact that she is a girl in an ordinary home, probably ordinary work, and he was a priest, okay? So, so many different contrasts. Gabriel comes to them both. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, in those days, engagement meant something. These days, even marriage doesn't mean a whole lot sometimes. You know what I mean? These, in these days, engagement, you, you cannot break an engagement even without death or divorce. Only, some of the main differences between engagement and marriage, that when they were engaged, they didn't live together and they didn't have sexual relations. Other than that, they were considered as husband and wife. She's engaged to Joseph, a descendant of David. That, 
That's important. This descendant of David idea for Mary, especially in Joseph, the Messiah was to be in David's line. Virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, I don't know about you. Imagine you're going through your day and all of a sudden an angel shows up and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. It says she was greatly troubled. This is different than most days at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, just like he said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now I'm sure, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations where you get some really good news and it just feels almost like you're not even there. Like maybe your boss calls you in and doubles your salary or, or you get some great news that, that you're pregnant after you've been trying for a while. It's almost as an out-of-body experience. Like, am I really hearing this? Because every girl in Israel at this time, or most of them were told at least, prayed that they would be the one to carry the Messiah, the one they'd been waiting for. This was a dream for every young lady in Israel. I can imagine her just trying to process this. Now, I want you to listen to her question. On the surface, it sounds like Zechariah's, but it's actually very different. She says, how will this be? since I am a virgin. You remember what Zechariah said back there? Very similar. He said, how can I be sure of this? He's like, prove it. And the angel himself says even that he didn't believe. That's, that's why the punishment. Mary doesn't say, I don't believe it. She just wants to know the details. I believe you, but you're going to have to, how is this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. Okay, and as she's processing through this, uh, she's looking at the physical realities. I imagine she's also weighing through what's going to go through everyone's mind in town, okay? Today, someone gets pregnant before they're married. We have crisis pregnancy centers. We have gospel rescue missions to help out. In this day, in this culture, if someone was found to be pregnant outside of marriage, religious leaders start to think about stoning that person. This is the, the culture that she was in. She's got the, the thoughts of what, what are people going to think about me? What are people going to think about Joseph? She's got a lot to process through. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's the Holy Spirit again. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is so cool. When, when he says the Holy Spirit will come on you, it's the same idea as when God's glory came on the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Testament and his glory filled the Holy of Holies in those places. That's what he's saying to Mary. Just like I filled the Holy of Holies, God is going to fill your womb. Your, your little teenage womb is going to become a Holy of Holies 
for the Son of God. This is so important because we know that we inherit sin from Adam. We commit sin. But Jesus did not come through Joseph. He came from God. And so he did not inherit that sin. He never committed sin. He needed to be perfect to be the sacrifice. This is a big deal. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. I love this verse. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. And I want you to look at Mary's response. This was pointed out by someone at our missional community on, on Wednesday night, and I thought it was beautiful. She said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, you understand the cost of this, right? We talked about the potential risks of perception of her. That perception followed her throughout her life. Later on, Jesus would be talking in his ministry when he was a grown-up, and he was telling some of the religious leaders, you're, you're children of the devil. And they said, we're not children of the devil. We're not illegitimate children. And some scholars believe that they weren't only defending themselves. They were saying, we're not illegitimate like you are. Your, your mom was pregnant outside of marriage. They, she carried that stigma in her culture. But she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That word servant can be translated more strongly as, as slave. Brought out at our missional community. Whatever you want, God, I'm in. However impossible it seems, I'm in. Because at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Somebody else in our missional community pointed out how it's always the Holy Spirit that enables us to recognize who Jesus is. And he did that in Elizabeth. Mary shows up. These two pregnant ladies and the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth and she knows that that baby inside of Mary is the Lord, the Lord. This word Lord is used more in Luke than any other book. He wrote a lot to a Greek audience and it's the same word they would use for Caesar. So he's really pointing out to them that Jesus is to us Christians as you guys view Caesar. He is the real Lord. This would send a strong message to the, the Greeks that were reading this. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And this is a beautiful verse, and this ought to inspire us. When God tells us something through his word, when he leads us into something in our lives, tells us to do something for him, Maybe it even sounds or looks impossible to, to work through an issue in a relationship, to share Jesus with this person, to, to go to this place or that place and be a missionary, whether it's your neighborhood or around the world. She carried Jesus in her womb. We, we carry him in our hearts. Paul says we carry him as though we're a jar of, jar of clay so that it's his glory. We, we carry him. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. 
Blessed means happy. There is a great joy that comes when God tells us something. I want to use you in this way. I want you to do this for me. And we say, yes, Lord, I don't know how. I don't know how long. I don't know what this looks like, but I believe you. He says there's a blessing that God will fulfill his promises. And before we close, I just want to point out even the names around this story have God's fingerprint on them. When we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, Zechariah's name means Yahweh or God has remembered. Elizabeth can be translated covenant. You put that couple together, God has remembered his covenant, his promise to his people. (laughs) Jesus means Yahweh saves. So even the names around this whole story are so, so important. God fulfilling his plan. So as we close, I want to ask us, are we a people, when God says something to us, do we take him at his word? Maybe we ask him, how's this going to be, Lord? But I believe you. Or do we take Zechariah's approach of unbelief? A couple quotes. Faith is so important in this whole book of Luke. We'll see it over and over again. Here's a couple quotes about it. Augustine said, God does not expect us to submit our faith to him without reason. But the very limits of our reason make faith a necessity. Reason is a limited tool. Our reason is limited. Makes faith a necessity. George Mueller said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Yet that place today where your power ends, it's where faith begins. Augustine said this as well. God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. One more quote that I love by Martin Luther. He said that there were three miracles, and I'm just going to paraphrase it because it's not in there. I read it this week. I thought, this is really cool. There are three miracles around the virgin birth. One, that that God spoke to Mary through an angel. Two, that she conceived. And three, that she believed it would happen. Martin Luther said this, the biggest miracle of the three is the last. God enabled her to believe that amazing promise. He says in this passage, with God, nothing is impossible. Do we believe that this morning? Father, I pray uh, this morning that we would be people of faith like Mary. A teenage girl in in a normal home, just going about her day, and an angel shows up turns her world upside down with an amazing privilege and an amazing responsibility. And she said, let it be to me as you have said. God, all of us got a little Zechariah in us at times if we're honest. We've been disappointed. We've been hurt by situations, by people around us, by life. Lord, help us when we find ourselves at that place, at the end of our own power that we would admit the limits of our reason and turn to you in faith, trusting that you are the God who works the impossible. There are some people in this room this morning 
that are in impossible looking situations. Lord, I, I pray especially for them. God, may your spirit fill them with the faith of Mary. May they find that blessing. As they say, even in this moment, I trust you, God. And we'll watch and give you glory as we'll see next week the fulfillment of these promises. We'll give you glory as you work towards your desired end. Give us faith. Give us strength. Give us comfort. Thanks for being a God who remembers his covenant. May that carry us through this week. Lord, we uh, pray that even as we give this morning, uh, that would be an act of faith. Uh, showing that, yes, God, we're stewards of what you've given us, and we trust you to advance your kingdom with our gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.